Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold the peter ship show i'd like to thank true niagen for supporting my podcast True Niagen fuels the body's energy engines, maintains cellular metabolism, and even supports a healthy heart. And now you can get 10% off your first purchase as a new customer at trueniagen.com Peter using promo code Peter. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, all of the U.S. stock market indexes finished higher on the week. In fact, the S&P 500 closed the week at a new all-time record high, adding 2.7%. This is a big reversal from the prior week where the S&P dropped almost 2%. And the big difference between last week and this week was last week, everybody was worried that the Fed was going to fight inflation. This week, they're not worried that the Fed's going to fight inflation because they don't think there's any inflation to fight because they pretty much have decided that the Fed is right and that inflation is transitory. And because inflation is transitory, the Fed is not going to have to do anything about the inflation. Yes, interest rates will eventually rise slightly. Who knows when? A monetary policy will not be quite as easy as it is now. But the Fed is never going to really have to slam on the brake because there is no inflation problem either now or on the horizon. Sure, prices are moving up now, but it's nothing to worry about because it's all transitory. And how do we know it's transitory? Well, the Fed told us it's transitory. And after all, the guys at the Fed are geniuses and they've never gotten anything wrong. So whatever they say, well, it must be true. So if the Fed tells us that inflation is transitory, we can take that to the bank. We've got nothing to worry about. And based on that, the stock market went up. We did see a bit of a sell-off in the bond market. And I think the reason that the bond market sold off, it's the opposite of the reason it rallied last week. And I'm talking about the long end. People were worried that if the Fed ended up fighting inflation, because the Fed admitted that inflation was hotter than it thought, and so that maybe scared the market, but then the Fed quickly convinced the market it doesn't matter that it was hotter than they thought, it's still going to cool off uh, exactly the way they expected. So if the Fed is not going to have to fight inflation, well, it's not going to slow down the economy, and so that 
caused people to sell treasuries. So the yield on the 10-year rose from 1.45 to 1.536. I mean, not that big a move. The yields are still ridiculously low. 30-year yields rose from 2 spot 027 to 2 spot 169. After all, there's no inflation at all, so you might as well loan money to the U.S. government for 30 years at less than 2.2%. Of course, relief that the Fed was not going to have to fight off inflation meant that the dollar sold off a bit because the Fed's not going to have to hike rates to fight inflation, and it's the anticipation of rate hikes that supports the dollar. So the dollar index fell a little bit from 92 and a quarter down to 91.80. One market, though, not really benefiting from the idea that we don't have to worry about inflation is gold and silver. Although gold and silver prices were up slightly on the week, you have to keep that in perspective because they got clobbered in the prior week. So gold was only up about $17 on the week. Not much of a rebound. Silver only up 30 cents. Gold closed the week at 1781 silver at 2610 and in fact the gold stocks were basically flat on the week with the GDX up slightly less than one tenth of one percent GDXJ down slightly again less than one tenth of one percent but remember the GDX fell over 10 percent last week and really recovered none of those losses even though the markets are not as worried about the Fed fighting inflation with higher rates. But since everybody assumes the economy is great and there's nothing to worry about, the stock market's making new highs, there's no inflation, well, why buy gold and why buy gold stocks? Because buying gold stocks is a bet that gold prices will keep rising in the future or at least not fall. And if you think there's no inflation and everything is great, then a lot of people don't see the reason to buy gold. You know, ironically, as everybody is celebrating the fact that there's no inflation, there's nothing to worry about, and whatever we're seeing now is just a transitory blip related solely and exclusively to the reopening of the economy and budget deficits and money printing are completely irrelevant. Look at what's happening with the price of oil. Oil prices rose 4% on the week. We went up from $70.45 which is where we closed last week, to 73.26. The high for the day was 73.40. But this market is relentless. We have completely recovered all of the losses from last week, although the oil stocks have not recovered those losses. I mean, oil stocks were relatively quiet. They bounced, uh, but they didn't recover what they lost, even though the S&P recovered more than last week's losses. Oil stocks did not, even though the price of oil itself is higher this Friday than it was last Friday, people are still worried that the price of oil, even though it's going up now, is gonna come collapsing down at some point because all this inflation is transitory. And if all the inflation is transitory, then these rising oil prices must be transitory as well, except anybody who can look at an oil chart There is nothing transitory about this bull market. You see very little resistance in the oil chart. I don't really see much until $100 a barrel, which is, what, about 30, 37% higher than it is right now. And we could easily do that before the end of the year. I mean, how can anybody believe this inflation is transitory nonsense when you look at the price of oil? Unless you think oil prices are irrelevant to the overall price structure or oil prices could be rising this way in an environment where we don't really have any inflation with the exception of energy, except it's not energy. There's all sorts of commodity prices that are rising. Now, some of those commodities have pulled back. Oil is not one of them, but some of the commodities that have pulled back are the ones that have the most spectacular rises like lumber, like copper, uh, maybe soybeans, some of these other commodities which shot way up But even though they're down, if you look at where they are relative to where they started this bull market, they're still way up. And anybody who now thinks that there's nothing to worry about because bull markets have had a correction doesn't understand markets because nothing moves up in a straight line. And a lot of these markets that have pulled back 
are simply now consolidating and ready to move up to new highs. But while everybody was celebrating the fact that inflation is transitory and the economy was in great shape, they were pretty much ignoring a lot of the economic data that came out this week that pretty much contradicts that whole rosy narrative of a strong economy without inflation. Look at the disappointing numbers we got for May durable goods. The headline number was a little bit stronger than expected, up 2.3% versus up 2 But when you strip out transportation, rather than a 0.7% gain, we got a 0.3% gain. But when you look at core capital goods, that was supposed to rise by 0.5. Instead, it went in the other direction and we lost 0.1. There were some upward revisions across the board in the prior months, but I think what's more important is the direction that these numbers are headed, and that direction is down at the same time everybody thinks the economy is getting better. You know, we did get the report on Q1 GDP. This is the final number and pretty much unrevised from the last estimate. So the, they closed the books now on Q1 GDP, and the annualized rate of growth was 6.4%. Of course, completely powering that number was an 11.4% gain in personal consumption expenditures. So all of that GDP growth had to do with consumers spending money. And where were the consumers getting all this money? Well, they were getting it from the government in the form of stimulus checks, enhanced unemployment benefits. They were getting it by virtue of the fact that they didn't have to pay their rent. They didn't have to pay the interest on their student loans or even the principals. So a lot of people had a lot of extra money to spend and they spent it and the GDP went up. But this is not indicative of economic strength. This is actually indicative of inflation and more evidence of that can be seen in the trade numbers. International trade in goods numbers also came out this week worse than expected. And not only was the main number worse than expected, but they revised the April number, which was worse than expected. And now it was even worse than that. May's initial number was 85.2 billion deficit. That's been revised up to 85.7 billion. The consensus estimate for May was 87.9 billion. We did 88.1 billion in red ink for May. So again, this is a byproduct of our weak economy. Americans are out there spending money to buy stuff they didn't make. Well, where's this stuff coming from? Well, it's coming from the stronger economies overseas that made the stuff that the American economy is too weak to produce. And in fact, if you actually look at the components of these international trade numbers, and this is just the goods, not services, look at what happened. Imports rose by 0.8% on the month, but exports were down 0.3%. So we're importing more, we're exporting less. It's the exports too that would be a sign of economic strength and we're getting a clear sign of weakness. And the reason that we have to import so much more is because our economy is too weak to actually produce the stuff. So we have to import it. Where are we getting the money to pay for it? Well, the Fed is printing it. Also on initial jobless claims, remember last week we had an unexpected spike in jobless claims. We got back above 400,000. The number was 412,000. And the expectation was, well, we would reverse that. We'd have a big drop this week. We'd go back down to 380,000. That was the estimate. Well, number one, they revised last week's number upward. So it went up to 418,000. And instead of dropping down to 380,000, we only dropped down to 411,000, which was only 1,000 less than was originally reported for the prior week. Now it's 7,000 less because of the upward revision. But now back-to-back weeks where we have unemployment claims solidly above 400,000. Again, one of the reasons that so many people are filing for unemployment is because it's more lucrative to collect unemployment checks than to actually earn a paycheck. And so a lot of people want to sign up for that gig. Also on Friday, we got the personal income and spending numbers. Take a look at personal income It was supposed to drop by 2.6%. I guess this was a beat because it only dropped by 2%.
but the significant number is that personal income dropped by 2%. Now that followed the 13.1% drop from the prior month. The big reason for the drop in income is there was no new stimulus check in the mail and so incomes weren't going up. But where the number really disappointed was in spending, which was supposed to rise 0.3 and instead it was unchanged. Although they did revise the prior month's number from up 0.5 to up 0.9. So maybe with the revisions, it's a bit of a push. But the real problem in this number, although it wasn't worse than expected, is the personal consumption expenditure numbers, the PCE, because this is supposedly the Fed's favorite way to measure inflation. And of course, it's the Fed's favorite because it's the least accurate. It's the one that understates inflation the most because you have a lot of things in there like substitution that really filter out a lot of the price increases that Americans are dealing with. But even this highly rigged number was up 0.4% on the month, and that followed a 0.6% gain in the prior month. But look at the year-over-year number, 3.9% year-over-year. If you strip out food and energy, the core was up 0.5 on the month and 3.4% year-over-year. But that 3.9% year-over-year increase, that is the biggest year-over-year increase in the personal consumption expenditure index since 1991. And clearly, it's well above the Fed's 2% target. I mean, it's almost double that, right? About 4%. Now, the Fed is confident again that all of this is transitory, despite the fact that there's no evidence that actually suggests that it is. They're just trying to make this up. They're just trying to relate everything to COVID and the reopening And they are completely ignoring all of the monetary and fiscal policy that also coincided with COVID and the reopening. And they're blaming the price increases on COVID and ignoring the impact of the COVID cure, which was printing all this money, which is really the reason that we're seeing these price increase. That coupled with the fact that we had a reduction in supply based on the fact that so many businesses closed and so many people weren't working. And instead of reducing the money supply to offset that, which would have been the appropriate monetary policy, the Fed expanded the money supply. Even though the good supply was contracting, they threw gasoline on that fire. And that's why it is burning so hot. In fact, look at the Fed balance sheet numbers again came out on Thursday. While everybody is trying to figure out when the Fed is going to start tapering and the Fed is talking about talking about tapering, Well, look what they're actually doing. Another $37.7 billion increase in the balance sheet in one week. The balance sheet now above $8.1 trillion. This is a new all-time record high for the balance sheet. So while they're talking about tapering, they continue to buy more treasuries than the amount they're claiming they're going to taper from. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to Join Delete Me gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. 
Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. I want to thank True Niagen for supporting my podcast. True Niagen fuels the body's energy engines. It maintains your cellular metabolism, supports a healthy heart, and is clinically proven to boost NAD levels, an essential coenzyme required for cellular energy and repair. And now you can get 10% off your first purchase as a new customer at TrueNiagen.com Peter using the promo code Peter. That's TrueNiagen, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com. That's TrueNiagen, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com slash Peter using the promotion code Peter and save 10% off on your first purchase. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Also, earlier in the week, I think it was on Tuesday, we had a big drop in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And I warned about this drop coming purely from a technical perspective on the podcast that I recorded on Monday evening. I did that podcast in the evening because I was leaving for Europe the following day, and I wanted to make sure I got a podcast done. And on Tuesday, Bitcoin's price finally pierced that $30,000 support level. In fact, we got below $29,000 intraday before bouncing back. And of course, we bounced back, and that dead cat bounce, I think, got as high as $35,000 before the market really started rolling over. As I'm recording this podcast now, Bitcoin is trading around 31,500. I think we got close to 30,000 earlier in the day. I'm recording this European time on Saturday evening, so it's uh, earlier in the day in New York. It's, you know, mid-afternoon or so. But I remember earlier seeing Bitcoin go back down around 30,000. But when we initially had that big bounce for a couple of days back up to 35,000, of course, everybody was confident that the low was in, all the people who bought the dip were confident that they were going to make a lot of money. And in fact, I was watching CNBC on that Tuesday morning when Bitcoin was getting clobbered and they really brought out the big guns. They brought out Mike Novogratz early in the morning to reassure everybody that there was nothing to worry about, that yes, we might go below 30,000 briefly, but that was going to be the low. The market was going to rally back and you just have to buy this dip. And one of the reasons that Mike Novogratz was so confident that there'd be all this buying uh, below 30,000 and why people didn't have to worry about the price of Bitcoin moving much lower than that. It wasn't going to crash as bad as it has in the past. And the difference is that now you have all this institutional demand for Bitcoin that wasn't around in the past. So there's all this big money just dying to buy the dip. And so you can be confident that the market's not going to fall very much because you have all this institutional buying that's going to step up. 
Yeah, right. I mean, what institutional buying? Yes, I agree there was a little bit of institutional interest during the most recent rise up to 65000 or so. But I think most of that institutional interest has dried up. There is no indication other than in the fantasies of these Bitcoiners that there's a bunch of institutions who are dying to buy Bitcoin. I think most of the institutions who were thinking about buying Bitcoin when it was over 60000 or over 50000 they're not thinking about buying it at 30000 They're just glad they didn't buy it at 60000 You know, and I hear a lot of people saying, well, if the institutions liked it at 60000 they should really like it at 30000 Why? It's not like it's a stock that, you know, pays a dividend. And so if you like the stock at 60, you got to love it at 30 because now the dividend is twice as high. You know, you're getting the business for half the cost. That's got nothing to do with Bitcoin. There is no valuation for Bitcoin. There's no way to value it because it has no real value. It's just worth what people are willing to pay. And people are willing to pay more when it's going up. They're not willing to pay that much when it's going down. The only reason that institutions got interested in Bitcoin was because they were greedy and they wanted to make money or because of FOMO, fear of missing out. The big sell, the way the Michael Saylors of the world and everybody else was trying to convince corporations and institutions to buy Bitcoin is they said, if you don't do it and all your competitors do, well, then you're going to underperform and you're going to lose your customers. You're going to get fired. So you need to buy Bitcoin because everybody else is going to buy it and it's going to go way up and you're going to be the only fool that didn't buy it. So you better buy it too. Otherwise, you're going to be broke and you're going to lose your job and have fun staying poor. So it was all about FOMO. Well, that FOMO was gone. I mean, what, what, what are people worried about missing out on now? Huge losses? Bitcoin has just been cut in half, more so, actually down about 55%. And you look at that chart, you look at this massive head and shoulders where the neckline is about 30K. And if you look at the head at about 65K, the projection of that pattern is negative 5,000. I mean, if this head and shoulders really completes itself, you got a long way to fall on the downside. So I don't think there are any institutions who are right now dying to buy the next break below 30,000. I would be more worried about the institutions who got in getting out, cutting their losses if Bitcoin breaks below 30,000. And it's not just going to be the institutions cutting and running. What about all the leveraged speculators who are going to be subject to margin calls? I mean, to have this guy Novogratz come on and be so optimistic and overlook all of this negative news that could just cause this market to implode. And you know what? We had that dead cat bounce. You had all the people who are waiting to buy the dip below 30,000. Well, those people have bought the dip. So what happens when it goes below 30,000 again, which looks very likely? Well, all the people that were waiting to buy 30,000, they've already bought it. So who's left to buy the next dip? Not many people. I mean, other than the people who took profits on this rally, who traded it, bought it below 30,000, sold into the rally up to 35, maybe they'll take a shot at buying it again. But there probably were a lot of big holders who decided to add to their positions and they spent their money. They're gone. They don't have anything in reserve. So many people probably borrowed money and got deeper into margin the last time we got below 30,000 because they thought that was it. They were buying the bottom and they just wanted to make sure to get in even if they had to borrow money. So you don't have as much buying that's built up beneath the market for the next time we go below 30,000 as the last time. We're probably going to have to drop to a point where a whole new set of buyers comes in and that may not happen until 20,000 or maybe even lower than that and that's where we're headed. You know, the only person on CNBC that seemed to publicly jump ship was Jim Cramer. I mean, he came out on that same Tuesday where Mike Novogratz was telling everybody to buy, buy, buy. Cramer said he had sold the last Bitcoin that he had. He basically said he was selling on the technicals. He was selling on China, whatever the reason is, but at least he got out. But of course, the real reason to sell Bitcoin is because Bitcoin doesn't have any value. Bitcoin's only value was the perception that it was a one-way ticket up. Well, a lot of people who bought that ticket are now finding out that they're going in the wrong direction and they're going to want off the ship too. 
And of course, the captain of that ship, Michael Saylor, he's going down with it. Don't make the mistake of going down with him. In fact, if you're smart, you'll realize that the big beneficiary of the shine coming off of Bitcoin is going to be gold. You know, more and more people are going to start to recognize that inflation isn't transitory. And if inflation proves to be not transitory, there's absolutely nothing the Fed can do about it. And so it's going to get a whole lot worse. So people really should be taking advantage of this gift horse, buying gold below $1,800 an ounce. I really think when people look back at a few years, these are gift opportunities. It should be obvious that the price of gold is going way up. And in a few years, it will be obvious to everybody. Of course, everything is obvious in hindsight. Everybody will look back and say, of course, buying gold was a no-brainer. The problem is in real time, very few people have the brains or the guts to actually do it. People should step up, buy some physical gold, you know, contact Shift Gold. If you've already bought from us before, well, then you know who to call and, and talk to your gold representative there. If you've never dealt with us before, uh, just give us a call and any one of these guys will be able to help you. Shiftgold.com. And again, if you really want to take advantage of what is going to be an explosive move up in the price of gold and silver, you want to get into the mining stocks. That's where the real bang for the buck is going to be. Of course, I like my gold fund managed by Adrian Day. You can buy the Europe Pacific Capital Gold Fund from the representatives at Europe Pacific Capital. Go to europac.com. You can reach out and contact us. Also, my funds are available at all of the discount brokers. I also have separately managed accounts managed by Adrian Day. If you want even lower fees and you want to have a personalized brokerage account managed by Europe Pacific Asset Management, and Adrian Day, you can talk to your Europe Pacific Capital representative or you can contact Europe Pacific Asset Management directly in Puerto Rico. epacfunds.com is the website for my asset management company and we can build you a portfolio of gold mining stocks. And you know, if you're living outside the United States, so far only Americans can buy my gold fund. Even though we're registered now in Canada, Canadians can't yet buy my gold fund, but Canadians can now have an account with Europe Pacific Asset Management. We are registered there and we can put you in a portfolio of mining stocks selected and managed by Adrian Day. But we can also manage individual portfolios for people pretty much all over the world. I mean, not every country. There are some countries still that we can't work with, but the vast majority of countries were allowed to accept customers. So contact your representative at Europe Pacific Asset Management to make sure that you're living in a country uh, where we can work with you and then set up an account and buy some of these mining stocks before the prices really go ballistic. Of course, one of the things that's going to make the price of gold go ballistic is all the money the Federal Reserve is going to print to finance this massive government spending. A lot of it, of course, not even related to COVID at this point. It's just related to this huge socialist agenda that is moving forward through Congress using COVID as the excuse. But if it wasn't COVID, it would have been something else. But regardless of the excuse, it's the consequence that everybody is going to be dealing with. And the consequences are inflation, a weaker dollar, and a much higher gold price. In fact, President Biden on Thursday announced that he had a deal with Republicans on a scaled back infrastructure bill. $1.2 trillion is the price tag for this scaled back bill. This one is supposedly bipartisan because it's got the support of Republicans. Apparently there was a group of 10 senators that agreed to support this plan. Five of them were Republicans. And these are Susan Collins, Robert Portman, Bill Cassidy, Lisa Murkowski, and Mitt Romney, right? So you get five rhino Republicans, right? These are basically Democrats that have an R in their name, right? And so because you got these rhino Republicans agreeing with Democrats, right? These are really Democrats in disguise. So the Democrats in the Republican Party are agreeing with the Democrats in the Democratic Party on this bill and suddenly that makes it bipartisan. I mean, it's not a bipartisan bill despite the fact that you have some hacks in the Republican Party 
who are supporting it. And, you know, one of the funny things about it is, you know, the Republicans wanted to make a big deal about how they want to pay for the infrastructure plan, right? They don't want an infrastructure plan that runs up the deficit. They want to pay for it. And originally, the Republicans were talking about user fees, a higher gas tax, because, hey, if we're going to spend money fixing up the roads, well, the people who use the roads, well, they should pay the cost of fixing them up. But remember, Biden doesn't want to sign on to anything that's ultimately going to raise taxes, at least officially, on anyone who makes under $400,000 a year. So that's a a no-go. In fact, I think Biden remembers what happened to Bush. Remember, George Bush Sr., read my lips, no new taxes, and then the Republicans dumped him. And maybe Biden wants to make sure that he does not sign on to anything that raises taxes on anybody that earns less than 400000 because he's afraid that Republicans uh, will make that a campaign issue to the extent that this guy is able to run for a second term. But the Republicans who were involved in this bipartisan effort, they are claiming that this infrastructure bill pays for itself, right? That it's not running up the deficit. And the reason it supposedly pays for itself is the money is coming from unused COVID money, meaning money that the government has already budgeted for COVID relief or COVID rescue that in theory, I guess, hasn't been spent yet. So we're just going to spend that money on infrastructure and that means it's paid for. I mean, what kind of sleight of hand nonsense is this? Because none of the COVID money was paid for either. So in other words, the government decides that they're just going to borrow $1.2 trillion and spend it on something. And then they don't spend it on what they said they were going to spend it on. And so now they say, oh, let's take that money that we didn't have and that we borrowed, and now we'll spend it on this instead. And somehow that means it's paid for. If the COVID money wasn't paid for, and now we do infrastructure using the COVID money, then the infrastructure wasn't paid for either. You see, if we have unspent money, from COVID, great, don't spend it because we didn't have that money to begin with. We have to borrow that money. And so what the Republicans are saying is, hey, here's some money that we haven't borrowed yet. So let's borrow it now and spend it on infrastructure and pretend we paid for it. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. But even more ridiculous, I think, than the Republicans, the rhino Republicans claiming that this bill is paid for because we're going to borrow money that we were going to borrow, but we haven't borrowed it yet. Look at what Biden was saying in his press conference. The reason that Biden said we need to do this bill is because America is in a race with China, right? Where we have this economic race with China and we got to win the race. And the way we're going to win the race is by making our government bigger, right? We're going to borrow more money and go deeper into debt so the government can spend more money. And that's how we win the race. I mean, that's like we're in a race with China and China's already in the lead. And Biden's idea is to take the American runner and put a backpack on him and fill it up with weights, right? So now the American has got a 30 or 40 pound pack on his back and say, okay, keep running, right? How are we going to beat China with a bunch of weights on our back? We, We need to start lightening the load. The way you win an economic race with China is to have freer markets, is to make government smaller so it's a lighter burden on the economy so the economy could run faster because it's no longer weighed down with government. So making government bigger is not the way that we win an economic race. No country has ever come out on top by having a bigger government. The secret to America's success was having a tiny government. It's whoever has the smallest government wins. I mean, just look around. Look at all the countries that score high in economic freedom. Well, they have stronger economies. It's the countries that have big governments that have weak economies. That's the trade-off. You want a strong economy? Have a small government. You have a big government, you're going to have a weak economy. 
And so Biden wants to make the government bigger and therefore he's going to make the economy weaker. In fact, here is the biggest irony. One of the ways that this infrastructure bill is supposedly paid for is the extra revenue that they're getting from the IRS. First of all, they have to spend $40 billion more hiring IRS agents, but apparently these extra IRS agents are going to collect an extra $100 billion in taxes. And how are they going to do that? Well, by harassing American entrepreneurs, business owners. I mean, who are the people that are the high earners that the IRS wants to target? Well, a lot of these guys are the businessmen. These are the guys that create the businesses, that produce products, provide services, create all the jobs, right? The real lifeblood of the economy, the engine of growth for the U.S. economy. And the U.S. government wants to throw a monkey wrench in that engine by harassing all those business owners. We want them to spend more time dealing with IRS audits and trying to defend their tax returns in the past rather than figuring out how to grow their businesses, become more competitive, hire more people. If you really want to win an economic race with China, does that make any sense? Would you really do that? It's like if we were having a baseball game with the Chinese, right? Would you want to take your best players and tie ropes around their legs or put weights on their backs so they couldn't swing them as hard? I mean, you know, why would you want to screw up your players and then expect them to go on a field and win the game, right? Our players in an economic battle are our entrepreneurs, our business owners. Those are our key guys. And we want to take their eyes off the ball. We want to distract them and harass them with IRS agents and punish them and fine them and tax them. At the same time, we're claiming we want to win an economic race with China. All this means is that we're going to lose the race by an even greater margin than we were losing it before. You're talking about a plan to make government bigger and then to harass entrepreneurs and small business owners by sticking out a bunch of IRS agents to harass them. I mean, makes absolutely no sense. And nobody points out the irony of what Biden is saying. But of course, maybe the craziest part about the whole thing is that Biden gave another press conference, I think a day later, right? And now he's talking about this other spending bill. There's a $6 trillion bill that the Democrats are working on. And this $6 trillion bill I think includes a lot of the infrastructure stuff. And I, you know, I use the word infrastructure lightly because it's not really infrastructure. It was just put into the infrastructure bill and redefined as being infrastructure. But a lot of that fake infrastructure spending that they had to strip out, right, in order to get these rhino Republicans to sign onto it, a lot of that spending is now crammed into this other $6 trillion bill. And now apparently in this other press conference, Biden said that he's not going to sign this bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill unless he also has the $6 trillion bill on his desk to sign at the same time. In other words, it's a twofer. We need to get the $6 trillion bill to get the $1.2 trillion bill. But the only reason they got the $1.2 trillion bill was because they took a lot of stuff out of it that has now been shoved into the $6 trillion bill. I mean, so they're basically stabbing those five Republicans in the back by getting all the stuff that they didn't want back in anyway by doing that end around. And so now they may have to pull out of their support of that bill because by supporting that bill, they're actually going to end up getting both bills and all of the infrastructure spending that they didn't want. They're going to end up getting it anyway because it's contained in the other bill. But the point I was making about all this infrastructure is where is this money going to come from? Where is this $6 trillion going to come from? Where is the $1.2 trillion going to come from? They're going to pretend it's coming from tax hikes because the real tax hikes supposedly are going to be part of this $6 trillion bill. They're not part of the infrastructure bill. That $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill doesn't have all the corporate tax hikes and the higher taxes on capital gains. Those tax hikes are supposed to come with this $6 trillion bill, except they're not even going to come close to raising the $6 trillion in revenue. So the money is going to come from the Fed. The money is going to come from a printing press, which means inflation. So you have all of these people who are looking at all of this inflation data 
price increases that are greater than any price increases we've seen on a year-over-year basis, and in many cases on a month-over-month basis, than we've seen since the 1970s. Yet everybody is convinced that this inflation is transitory. Meanwhile, they are looking at massive increases in government spending, completely unpaid for with tax revenue, which means that the money printing that helped cause all these price increases that we've seen so far, that money printing is going to continue. So in other words, all of the evidence is that the inflation that we have now is not only going to stick around, but it's going to get worse. Because one of the problems with inflation is that the lags can take a long time. And in this case, they've taken a real long time. Because I think a lot of the inflation that's finally manifesting in prices, and again, inflation is the expansion of the money supply, and the money supply is expanding like never before. That's why we're getting inflation like never before. But there is a lag between the printing of the money and the increase in prices. And sometimes it's asset prices that rise before goods prices. So stock prices go up. Real estate prices go up. We've already seen that. We've seen the price of almost everything go way up. A lot of those price increases are the consequences of inflation. It's just that when inflation causes asset prices to rise, nobody cares. Although, you know, if you don't own a house and you're thinking about buying one, the fact that they're now real expensive, that's a big problem for you. In fact, if you can no longer afford a house because they're so expensive and now you have to rent, But because so many people have to rent because they can't afford to buy and now the rents have gone way up, that is a big problem for you. You know, the same thing if you're trying to save for your retirement and you want to buy stocks to do it, the fact that stock prices are really high, that's not good because now you have to pay a lot more for those stocks, which means your long-term returns are going to be less. You're paying higher multiples. You're not going to get as good a dividend yield. Yeah, high stock prices are great if you're liquidating your stock portfolio and cashing out. But if you're still trying to build up your portfolio, if you're still trying to buy stocks, high stock prices, they still hurt you. And again, that's one of the reasons that I'm encouraging people to buy international stocks, to buy foreign stocks, because there the stock prices are not nearly as inflated. You get a lot more value for your money. You get much better dividend yields. In addition to getting out of U.S. dollars, you get into fairly valued or underpriced stocks, which can give you a good long-term return. And again, talk to the brokers at Europe Pacific Capital or Europe Pacific Asset Management about having Europe Pacific manage a portfolio of good, solid, dividend-paying stocks, not only as a good inflation hedge and not only to get out of the dollar, but to get good stocks in your portfolio that you're not overpaying for. But, you know, there are a lot of people that already own stocks and already own real estate. So they're real happy when inflation makes them feel richer and they're certainly richer on paper. When people really start to worry about inflation or become concerned about it is when it makes the cost of living go up. So rather than the price of the stuff that you own going up, and that's what happens with assets, it's the price of the stuff that you need to buy, right? Because unless you're a farmer, right, you don't own food. It's something you have to buy every week. You buy it and then it's gone and you have to buy it again. And so the fact that the food that you bought, right, now that new food is more expensive, you've already consumed the old food, right? Unless you stock your cabinets up with food, which again is something that I am recommending that people do, right? Shop for your groceries for next year and the year after that. Do it now to the extent that you have room in your house. Buy the stuff that you're going to need in the future today because it's going to be a lot more expensive in the future. But most people are just buying the groceries for the week. And when they get more expensive every single week, right, when their electric bills go up, when those costs go up, that's when inflation really begins to hurt everybody. And that's just starting to happen. See, we created a tremendous amount of inflation long before COVID. We created a lot of inflation under Barack Obama. We printed a lot of money. We had massive deficits in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, except that inflation primarily manifests itself in asset prices. I think we're just beginning to get the effects of that inflation at the consumer level now.
I think the even greater inflationary pressures that were unlocked as a result of the post-COVID monetary policy, we haven't even seen those yet. Those are coming in the years ahead. And I think they're going to be triggered by the next big drop in the value of the dollar because we're getting all these price increases and the dollar index has barely fallen. Oil prices are still well below $100 a barrel. I think they're going there. But imagine what's going to happen when oil is above 100 or maybe even above 150. Imagine what's going to happen when the dollar index isn't at 92, but 82 or 72. The dollar is headed a lot lower. So we've barely begun to pay the piper for all the inflation that the Federal Reserve has created. And it's only a matter of time before the world begins to connect these dots and realize or sees the true picture that everybody refuses to acknowledge. And so before that happens, again, make sure that you get your portfolio properly invested. If you're still in crypto, get out while you can. If you're still in the dollar, if you're still in the U.S. stock market, realize that the upside potential is minimal compared to the downside risk in real terms, especially if you're in fixed income type investments. You need to restructure your portfolio. You need to think about the inflation tax because that is where all of the funding is going to come from. That's the one tax that Biden doesn't mind levying on the middle class or the poor because nobody is going to acknowledge it as a tax. So the middle class is going to pay through the nose for all of the programs that Biden promised wouldn't cost them a dime. But if you don't want to pay through the nose as an investor, as a saver, then you've got to get rid of your U.S. dollars so you can avoid that tax and you've got to build your portfolio of foreign investments, gold, gold stocks. And that's what we can help you do at Europe Pacific Capital. And I can't stress this enough, how important I think it is that people move quickly. And I know I've been early before and chances are I'm still a little early. You probably have more than a day. You probably have more than a week. I don't know. I thought a month ago or so when gold was moving above 1900 that it looked like people were starting to figure this out. Well, they haven't figured it out yet, but they're going to figure it out. It's only a question of time. And the one thing I know for sure is you got to be a bit early because you can't be late because if you're late, it's too late. There's no second chances if you blow this one. There's no bailouts. The way the Fed was able to bail people out in the past was printing money and bailing people out with dollars. Well, the Fed can't bail anybody out of a dollar crisis. The U.S. government can't bail anybody out of a dollar crisis. You've got to bail yourself out, but only if you do it before the crisis, because if you wait until there's a crisis, it's too late.